Well, as Dave Davis mentioned in the video earlier, uh, we do start a new series, uh, teaching series today called Perfect. And uh, I don't know about you, but the pressure to be perfect is everywhere, isn't it? Right? We feel it. We feel the pressure wherever we go. And really, we feel it in a lot of our relationships. And so I am so excited about the next five weeks here at Parkview because we're going to start this amazing series called Perfect. And, and really, uh, in relate, as it relates to our relationships, uh, our families, and our marriages, and our kids. Uh, and so I'm very excited to be, able to, to be able to be here for the next five weeks. So I want to invite you to join us and make sure that you carve out time to be here because it is going to be an amazing series. And it's not just because I'm going to teach one of the weeks, okay? Uh, it's going to be a great, it's going to be a great, great series and you're not going to want to miss it. And so today, actually, I get the honor and privilege of introducing you to our guest speaker, Hayden Shaw. Uh, Hayden uh, lives right here in the Chicagoland area uh, and uh, he is an expert in leading across generations. Um, he's written this great book that I'm actually in the middle of right now and it's a fascinating read called Generational IQ where he kind of unpacks the differences between uh, five living generations, which is the first time we've ever had that in our history in America. And it is a fascinating read on generations. And so he's going to come and share his research with us, and he's going to help us understand the idea of no more perfect families. So would you give a warm Parkview welcome to Hayden Shaw? Uh, good morning. The... Um Ironically, I go to a church called Parkview down in Orland Park, Illinois. And so it, I had to look twice when um, they said, hey, you're going to go speak at Parkview. And so that was a lot of fun. What we share in common um, is uh, uh, you know, a, a, a love for Chicago land, a love for Chicago theater, a love for Chicago politics, a love for the repeat voting that we're famous for. We, uh, uh, I'm from the southern suburbs, which means... I support the White Sox. I'm sure there are some of you who support the other guys. Um, I actually, one of the evidences that there are no perfect families is that one of my sons is a Cub fan. And, um, and I, it's the greatest failure of my life as a parent because I actually grew up in the middle of Illinois, Lincoln, Illinois, and so I'm a Cardinals fan. And, uh, you know, I, yeah, that's right. I've shown him rings. I've shown him pictures of a goat. I can't, I can't get him to switch over. And uh, I was so happy because he married a woman from uh, the middle of Missouri. I was like, oh, I'm going to have cardinal grandbabies. Nope, her dad was a Cubs fan. They would listen to WGN in the middle of, that's right. So they had a Cubs logo on their wedding cake, an edible logo on their uh, wedding cake. I made them scrape every bit of blue off. And because um, there's no perfect families, are there not, right? And so... Um, what we can agree on, if it's not baseball, we can agree on the t-shirt that says Jay Cutler makes me drink. I think we can all agree on that. I'm allergic to alcohol and grew up a teetotaler in a pretty conservative denomination. And so, uh, but it still cracks me up when I see the t-shirt. My wife, Lori, is, um, um, we had a perfect Valentine's Day planned, um, but she's sick. Yeah, and sick enough where I gave her a card this morning before we left, she, um, I must have wo uh, woke her up and, uh, and she was coughing. And so she was up, I gave her her card and she goes, I didn't get you anything. I was gonna go out, but I, I said, I understand, baby, you've been sick for three days. Um, so I went back into my office and got her a card to give me because I actually found two cards in the jewel that were perfect. So I bought them both. I thought I'll ever give her one next year. I usually buy like, when I find cards, I buy them like once every five years. I go in and buy a bunch of cards and put them in a filing cabinet and a folder marked cards so that if I ever forget, I'm golden, right? 
the um, um, no use messing up a marriage because of lack of preparation, and that way you only have to look once every like five years. Well, I found card. I didn't realize till I got home though that it was a card for to my husband. So I ran right into my uh, into my office, and I was going to give it to her later and go, I know I'm an idiot, but I said, baby, I got you your card to give me. I really like it already. It's perfect, and so. <clears throat> We are not having a perfect Valentine's Day, even though we'd really planned one. I will drive back home to Frankfurt, pick her up and go to Monami Gabby in Oakbrook and then go back home again. So it's, um, it's probably not perfect planning either. Does this make sense? None of them are perfect. Hey, by the way, Valentine's Day, talk about imperfection. I know that there's a certain website that got a lot of publicity after somebody hacked into it, released names, and discovered that the Duggars were uh, in the midst of that, right? Anybody know the name of that website? Ashley Madison. Well, USA Today, two years ago, talked about the fact that Ashley Madison's biggest surge, long before they became famous, Ashley Madison's biggest surge in enrollment is the day after Valentine's Day. How is that possible? Because people are so disappointed on Valentine's Day because of their high expectations that they go, all right, I'm done. Yeah, you can see why I'm not a motivational speaker, can you not? Well, we are just, <laughs> okay. Ladies and gents, my wife, Lori, this sick woman, and I were driving back for our company's holiday party. We were up in Mundelein at our regional manager's house, and on the way home, she says to me, I can't see out of my eye. It's 10 o'clock at night. She says, I can't see out of my eye. Somewhere around Allstate, they're on 294. We pulled over to the side of the road because I said, all right, here's my phone. Go look up stuff on can't see out of your eye. She said, I can't see out of my eye. How am I going to search the internet on your phone? So I pull over and start looking on the internet. <clears throat> we should not ever look on the internet about medical things. How many of you have noticed that if you're worried, you go from worried to terrified if you look on the internet? Guess how many times cancer popped up? What it was was rabbit. Anybody remember like, what was it? Three, four years ago, there was a rabbit was hot. So everything, so she bought a couple of sweaters that were trimmed in Angora. She'd never worn them before and discovered that like many people, she's allergic to rabbit. We didn't know that until we got all the way home, gave her some Benadryl. Nothing was, after a half hour later, it wasn't working. Now, she changed out of that sweater, of course. I'm like, maybe it's rabbit. So uh, we go over to the hospital and about an hour and a half later after the CAT scan, the Benadryl had finally kicked in and she was fine and they sent her home. Most expensive sales sweater we've ever purchased. Does this make sense? Yeah, and so, um, my fine wife captures, if, you, if you'll put up that picture of the eye, my fine wife captures perfectly the, uh, oh, sorry, I'm looking at that monitor. I should be looking at this one. My fine wife captures perfectly that, the same thing that's happening today. Stuff scares us, especially people of faith. Stuff scares us, especially things about families. It scares us. It's much like that young, it's much like the woman who in movies, if, um, who, uh, um, goes downstairs in the basement when we hear the music. Dun, dun, dun. We're like, do not go downstairs. You know the commercial um, for Geico about, oh yeah, let's run through the chainsaws, right? And, 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 even, the, and, and even the serial killers, like, man, you're idiots. The, um, 
Don't you think to yourself, no, don't go down there. It's dark, it's bad. And for many people, that's what it feels like today. Um, the good news is we, we can't change everything that's going on in the world around us. And things are scary, but we can. We can, we can turn on the lights. And that's, that's very much um, why I wrote Generation IQ, because as I'm working on the first book on generations at work and generations, you know, in churches and families, but how these how generations fit together, you know, the first book um, for Franklin Covey, I'm coming across all these things thinking, oh, the kind of things that freak Christians out make so much more sense if we just had a little more generational IQ and understood some of those differences, some of the things the research shows us. And so let me just give you a couple of examples of... Um, of why there are some things to worry about, but we worry too much. For example, um, percentages of marriages that end in divorce, what's the number? It is not. The percentage of marriage that end in divorce is 30. It has never been 50%, ever been 50%. It's not even 50% for third marriages. Turn to the person next to you that you're, if you're married to somebody, turn to the person next to you and go, you're pretty much stuck with me. Two out of three chance, two out of three chance, you are stuck with me. Come on, look them straight in the eye and go, stuck. Statistically speaking, not only are you gonna be married, but you're gonna be happy about being married. Percentage of couples who are happy in their marriage. And we're talking to just Christian couples, all couples. Percentage of couples who say on surveys that they're happy being married. Guess. Put that up there. So turn to your spouse and say, if you're not happy on Valentine's Day, what's your problem? <laughs> now, isn't that good news? So I asked Shondi Feldham, a very famous researcher, a woman who wrote, um, for men only, for women only. <clears throat> um, I asked her, I said, hey, would you endorse the book? She said, mm, I, I can, but your numbers are wrong on divorce. I said, what? Well, here's what I'm looking at. She goes, yeah, they're wrong. She goes, I've spent thousands of hours studying the research on divorce. It's actually the 50% come from projections marriage sociologists make about what it will be in the future. It's never been there and it will probably never be there. You know, and sometimes we, people are like, well, you know, we got a 50-50 shot. No, we don't. We got a much better shot than than we think we do, and actually millennials so far have the lowest divorce rate compared to either the boomers or the generation Xers. No, they're getting started at it, but they have a lower divorce rate than either of the other two generations did. Actually, the Xers had a lower divorce rate than the baby boomers did. There's good reasons to be hopeful about things. You know, Christianity isn't dying. The subtitle of the book is Christianity isn't dying, millennials aren't the problem, and the future is bright. Christianity is not dying. How many of you have heard that? How many of you worry about that? You know what? 90, in 1946, 96% of people in the United States say they believe in God. Today, 92% of people say they believe in God. You see in the, in the last year, all this stuff about the nuns, 7% greater increase in people who say that they have no religious affiliation. That's because people lied before. You with me? How many of you saw some of your neighbors, right? You're looking in their backyard going, you just told the pollster that you're Christian? Yeah, you're Protestant. Um, funny, that's just funny. 
You were expected to say it. Now people, have the, people feel the social freedom to go, no, not so much. And so they're finally being honest. A percentage of the United States that's, that's uh, Christian, born again. We've always heard 40%. It's never, it has never been even 20%, let alone 40%. Even Gallup admits when you ask more detailed questions, do you share your faith? Do you believe the Bible is accurate? It drops under 20%. Born again means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, doesn't it? But it made us think that there is a moral majority when actually it was a fairly small group of folks all along. It was never as great as we thought. And it's not as bad as we think. I know. There's a lot of things that scare us. And you can read Christians who throw out numbers because we like to shock each other. It's really bad. We got to get rally around. We got to solve this. But yelling fire in a theater doesn't really help. It just makes people get squished. Um, Christianity isn't dying in the United States. It's not even coming close to dying. Now, there are some challenges because people don't always believe the same things that we believe for, uh, about Christianity. So there's some challenges and it's not necessarily easy raising children. So um, the, uh, um, when it comes to kiddos, let me move ahead on a slide um, of, uh, in the average youth group. I mean, these are people who actively attend youth group. Um, take 10 kids. This is how many will drop out of uh, church for at least a year between 18 and 23. Well, that one's not good news, is it? And um, in the average family uh, with three kids, one out of three will walk away from their faith. Statistically, that's what's happened for decades. One out of three walk away from their faith. So there's a lot of good news and yet we gotta be pretty realistic about things. There aren't any perfect families. Why, why this push for the perfect family? The, uh, <laughs> well, uh, my son who... Uh, is actually does graphics and video. He found this perfect picture, isn't it? How many of you uh, have lunch like this on a Sunday afternoon on a regular basis? Yeah, the, um, yeah, the perfect family. The, um, I can't remember the last time I wore a suit and tie, let alone making the young man wear a suit and tie for uh, lunch. That's just a little crazy town, isn't it? Um, my... <laughs> I'm old enough that we were all lined up on the couch and my uncle who had a very fancy camera for the time. He would take shots of us until we could all be in tie, you know, shirts and ties, all matching family photos. He had a wicked sense of humor. So my, he got pictures of my dad just whooping on us because we are all screaming. We were done. We were tired. My dad is whooping us to get a sit still and get this photo done. That's the one that my uncle then like got up and framed is my, my dad, this dean of the seminary, um, breaking out the, uh, breaking out the um, spare the rod, spoil the child verse, right? And what went on us good. How many of you are old enough to remember when parents would actually pull you out, when they would threaten to stop the car and uh, they actually did it? Anybody remember that? <clears throat> How many of you are old enough to remember being, the car being stopped? Because in our family, it kind of went like this. My mother would threaten. I mean, you put a hand over the line. There's a line down the middle of that back seat. You put a hand over that line. Well, we're going to pull this car over. Finally, my mother would give the word, pull it over. My dad would stop it. Today, if you want to spank your child, 
where would you have to go? If you pull over on the side of the interstate, where would you have to go? You would have to go deep into bushes. You would have to find woods. You would have to go deep enough like you were gonna bury a body. Not my dad. Now, he wouldn't put us next to traffic. That wouldn't be safe. He would put us in the front of the car so America could see him whoop us. And his belt would come off. He was so good at the belt, it would come off in one motion. How many of you had an old man who could manage the belt? Now, this is even more amazing because he wore, it was in the era of those big, huge belts with the double rivets and the double tongues. Anybody remember that? Yeah, so it would sound like a machine gun as it came off, as each of those, as each of those rivets would go. And it would be above his head, and he'd be whooping on us, and America would be cheering as, we drove, as they drove by. That's a kid that's being raised right, <clears throat> honking and clapping and high fives. Today, there'd be a police officer there in three minutes, would there not? We got a problem here? Yeah, officer, you want to help for a while? My arm's tired. I told him, you put your hand on your, on your brother's side one more time, right? Now there are books for new parents to give to the grandparents on how I want you to parent my child because I don't want you to do it the way you did it for me. There are whole grandparenting books for you to give your parents. Now, part of it makes sense because, hey, <clears throat> we don't want any sudden... Um, death, so don't lay the baby the way you laid us who we're just lucky to be alive here. And, and so part of that makes sense, does it not? <laughs> but it illustrates that for the first time, we got five generations in the same household and it's a little hard to get perfect. I joke with, uh, can I borrow your phone? I gave mine to the folks working at the book table. The, uh, here's, what I, here's what I joke with millennials. I was just teaching a, a bunch of millennial farmers in um, Minnesota. I said to them here, if you want to make $1,000 a minute. Here's how you do it. You take your phone, you shut it off, not just sleep. You shut it off. You hold it up so grandma or grandpa can see it shut down. You put it face down and you slide it to the middle of the table. And then you lean back and say, hey, grandma, how are things? And for a half hour, you have a conversation with eye contact. Grandma will call the lawyer and change her will. She will transfer money from, the parent, her, from your parents to you. She's always wanted to give you the money and not her parents. She just doesn't know you're gonna make it in the real world yet because you're always looking at your phone. And if you'll have an eye contact conversation, I was joking about that in Phoenix, Arizona, and a business owner went, oh, I do it Monday. I would, he said, I'm serious, I do it Monday. I call the lawyer and go, all right, they're going to turn out all right. Why? Because people in, in the oldest generations, they grew up in face-to-face -face conversations. You know George Bailey, dance by the light of the moon. Then boomers come along and it's all phone calls. Hi, is Lori there? Boomers were courageous people because they had to face the old man. When you got teenage daughters, dad always answers the phone. Is Lord, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I, I think I just passed out. And so we'd black out and have to call back. Xers had it a little easier because they could instant message. Hey, hey. You could bypass the dad completely. There were some girls dating some guys that, would not, that they should not have been dating because instant messaging allowed them to get by it. And millennials, how do millennials communicate. How many of you have been at a junior high dance? 
When I was in junior high, somebody finally had to walk across the room, right? You had to walk across the gym. And you'd make eye contact. And if the girl you wanted to dance with was like, no way, she would turn and she would give you her bum, wouldn't she? She would turn and talk to her friends and you would get the haunches. You can't say butt in church, can you? You would get the haunches. She would turn her bottom to you. And you would have to make yourself small, to quote Steve Martin, you'd have to make yourself small because you just got shot down in front of the entire school and administration and all sponsors. Today, you go, you wanna dance? No. And it's just, I mean, it's there in a record forever electronically, but there is not the same public humiliation. It's a great time to be, uh, it's a great time to be alive. The point is how we communicate what feels right to us depends on how we date. The way we fell in love is what feels right. Now, which generation is right and which generation is wrong? What, what you know you should say is, nobody's right, nobody's wrong. But here, what it feels like is, <clears throat> hello, the way I like to do it is righter than the way you like to do it. We've never had five generations before. How many of you have seen a one, how many of you seen a one-year-old go up to a TV screen and swipe it and get frustrated that it's useless? <laughs> we have a whole new generation coming on, the fifth generation, somewhere around 13 or 14 years of age and younger, who 30% of them had a face, have a Facebook account before they're born. Facebook doesn't allow anybody to sign up till they're 13. 30% of them have a Facebook account before they're born. Of this youngest generation, 80% of them are on a screen within the first 50 minutes of awaking. The millennials were on screens eight hours a day because they often did multiple screens at once. But this younger generation is even more connected. And you know, the older generations stare at that and go, I don't know, you're ruining your kids' eyes. Their brains will turn to mush. We got a van with a VCR in it. Anybody remember those old conversion vans? It didn't have a DVD player in it. I'm old people. Our kids, our kids are all in college or out now. It had a VCR built in a wooden case on the side. Our kids learned to tell time by VeggieTales. How many more VeggieTales till we get there? Two more VeggieTales. Two more. That's a long time. Especially because my youngest daughter cried after the first 10 minutes in the car. She would cry the entire time until she fell asleep. She would wake up. She was good for 10 minutes and she would cry the rest of the time. So two and a half hours is a long time to listen to Kate cry the whole way. Two more veggie tales. I can't hear Kate. Put your headphones on. My parents are like, your children are not going to learn social skills. I can't believe that. You know, there was a lot to be said for growing up with multiple people in the back of a car learning to get along. The first time they drove the band, they're like, how many more videotapes can we take, huh? The reason you fought with, the reason we, it's kind of nice. Shut up and listen to watch your own. I don't want to watch that DVD. Now we've got them built in the back of every seat, don't we? How many grandparents, when they get a vehicle, go, oh, I want one with the video in every seat for the times the kids come to visit? Because then it's so much more pleasant if they're not We've never had all those generations. It makes families a lot more complicated. Ladies and gents, Protestantism actually um, puts extra pressure 
on things. Great book came out of a professor um, five or six years ago now at North Park Seminary here in Chicagoland. It's called Conceiving Parenthood. And she looks at um, medical technology and conception. But she says, she goes back to Ladies Home Journal, to the, to the Methodist um, church paper. And she also goes to, um, um, I forgot one. See, it's just early in the morning here. Um, where does she look at? Ladies Home Journal, Parent Magazine, National Geographic, and together the Methodist publication. And she looks at this great emphasis on the perfect family and Protestants actually help push that. You know what? If you were truly following Jesus, your kids would turn out wonderful and they'd be pretty too. I think that's backwards. Let's move on to the next slide here for a moment. Here's... Um, Paul says it this way, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now look some more, uh, uh, let me back up a moment. Let's look at some words here. The um, humble. Humble in the Greek means, um, it means a person who assesses themselves with gentleness. It's, it's a word used of a great ruler who is willing to be kind to common people. Humble. Um, <laughs> humble means you don't get it your way. And you don't make a big deal of it either. How many of you have been, been around dysfunctional families where when somebody doesn't get it their way, they make sure everybody knows the sacrifice they've made? Fine. You know... <clears throat> Cheesecake Factory is always really slow to get into. Now, you know, I'm fine. I said I was fine with wherever we went. I just want to point out it's always really slow. Well, you want to go someplace? Oh, no, this is what everybody else wanted to go. You know me. I go along with whatever else wants to do. I just peel off my pound of flesh every 15 minutes, right? Passive-aggressive. My friend, Stephen Glenn, he's so great. He defines passive-aggressive as the dog that licks your face while it tinkles in your lap. <laughs> passive-aggressive. They take their pound of flesh, right? That's not humble. That's grouchy. Gentle. Gentle is a ruler. In the Greek language, gentle was a ruler who was kind of the ideal king. Not angry, not abusing their power, but gentle. And then patient. <laughs> Bearing with one another in love. Bearing with translates what patient means. Bearing with. Now, gritting your teeth is not bearing with. That's not bearing with, that's resenting. Is that not? Bearing with. <laughs> You're different than me. Wow, you know, baby, happy Valentine's Day because... I want you to know, nobody has disappointed me more in all my life. No, seriously, turn to the person next to you that you're married to, look them in the eye and repeat after me. Come on, come on. I've never had so many disappointments in all my life. Yeah, happy, happy Valentine's Day. My wife and I will say this to each other because we live, when I was out starting churches in Frankfurt, we lived in a condo. And, and it, the people next to us, they were a little, they had a little tumultuous marriage. And we just heard her yell through the wall, I've never had so many disappointments all my life. And so we have now used that for the rest of our marriage. You know, I've never had so many disappointments in all of our life. And while we joke about it, it is true. The greatest disappointments I've ever had have come from her, the person who I love the most and am closest to. 
Because we just sang, friends, my wife is not God. Valentine's Day is a day of celebrating real love. My wife's not God. We sang about casting crowns down. One of the crowns we cast is this idol in the United States of love and marriage and family. Think about in how many movies they've replaced religion with family. Stirring music and sentimentality. And guess what? Family is an incredible gift of God, but they're not ours. Are they? I love my wife, but she, she is a whole package of disappointments. I've had homicidal fantasies, right? <laughs> I would never act on them or even say them. Uh, but uh, she's been very clear with me. Oh, you do that, I will get you like a fish, right? She's been very clear, very, very clear. Christian marriages, we're teaching millennials the wrong thing. They want authenticity, the research shows. Here's what they want to know. They want to know how do, really, how, do, how do imperfect people have the grace of God flood into their relationships? And even in the midst of a homicidal fantasy, how do you go, you and me, baby, it's two imperfect people together. And we bear with. Does this make sense? We bear with. Here's the idea. So much stuff is like, we have better marriages than unchristians do. You ought to be a Christian because psychologists say we're 20% happier. That's all true, but that's not the point. The point is there is a God in heaven who, a holy God who loves us and puts us in families so we beat all the nasty out of each other and the brokenness becomes evident and God's grace and spirit can come in there and work. We can learn to forgive and we can learn to be better people. And we can look at each other and go, what do you think you're doing? That's not nice. I'm in the middle of dealing with the situation in our church with a family where he just never looked at her and said, stop it, you're not treating people right. And for 20 years, she didn't, I mean, she, she ruins relationships because nobody said, here's the grace of, yes, stop it, and I love you. Friends, what we need are imperfect, broken family relationships because that's all there is, is there not? And to have God's grace in the middle of them, in the middle of these multiple generations, in the middle of Valentine's Day. And when your husband buys the card for the wrong person. Now, I got to quit because my time's up and there's uh, four more slides. You ready? We'll go through them fast. I want to give you some good news. Here's the good news. It is no harder today to raise a Christian child than it was 40 years ago. The research on that is absolutely rock solid. I know, I just saw somebody's mouth drop way open. You can put it back up because that was one of the most amazing things I came across. It is no harder, I mean, statistically speaking, you are no less likely to have trouble raising Christian children than you were in the early 70s. They've been studying it for that long in University of Southern California. Here are the four things that families do that pass on their faith to their kids. Their parents are still married. People are like, we shouldn't stay together for the children. <laughs> uh, yeah, you should. 
They're more likely to be in God's family if you stay married. Well, Hayden, um, that's a little too late for that. Okay? It drops your chances that your child will be, drops the likelihood that your child will be um, in the faith. Unless you find other caring adults who will care for and speak into your child. You know what a lot of churches do? They offer like ministries for single moms where you help fix their car. That's a beautiful thing. But even more important than that would be some guy who would hang out with her son. That doubles, that alone doubles the likelihood that they stay in the faith. And if I was a mom, I'd say, I'd rather limp on the car and have the kid. You with me? 18, 70% of 18 to 23 year olds will drop out of church for a year. It's, now, most of them come, but two thirds come back. You know what you can do to, you know, you know what we can do? It's the most amazing thing in the research. You know what you can do to drop that in half? Text message. If an adult other than their parents texts that kid once every other week when they're in college, that number drops in half through a text message. Ladies and gents, there's things we can do and there's good news. All right, one more. Uh, two, uh, actually, three more, I lied. Both parents are actively involved in. Gentlemen, let me get in your grill a little bit here. Women are more likely to be involved in organized religion than men are. <laughs> men have a disproportionate influence on whether or not their children, both boys and girls, remain in their faith. You do not have to do devotions at home. They, you don't have to be a big talker. You don't always have to know what to say. Just show up and be authentic about where you are and following God no matter what stage you are in. Does this make sense? Guys, raise your hand. Hayden, I promise. I will not be perfect. I wanted to give you one you had coming easy, right? I will not be perfect. Come on, repeat after me. I will not be perfect. I'm going to show up. That's all we got to do to double the chances that our kids remain in the faith. Number three, the father is emotionally warm and engaged. <clears throat> now, guys, I'm back on you again. <clears throat> what if you were raised by somebody who was not very warm? <laughs> uh, go to a counselor and go now. Ladies, what she says, baby, here's what I'm getting you for Valentine's Day after this sermon. I'm going to get you an appointment at a, at a counselor. Because warm would not be the way I, uh, that we would describe you. Good provider, loving, hardworking, warm, not so much. You don't have to be an extrovert. The kids have to see warmth. And oh, I'll tell you what, the worst case scenario is when you have an emotionally distant and cold father who's also just adamant about doctrine. We are Baptists. I don't care. Whatever. This is what we believe. I don't want to hear it. The likelihood, I mean, two out of every three kids walk away from the faith in that environment. Cold, emotionally distant, and rigid. Especially rigid on religion. Um, drops it by a third. And um, then lastly, they allow their kids to try other denominations. You know what? The families that are most likely to have kids in the faith um, don't have all their kids in the same denomination. Now, I went to a denominational college. I went to a Bible college from the denomination I grew up in. I like the doctrine of the denomination I grew up in. My kids are questioning some of those doctrines. I tell them to shut up. You're wrong. 
No, that's what I want to say. How many of you have learned that if you can keep it inside your head, it's better for everybody? Well, huh? Tell me what you think. You know, it's a hot thing now to go be Eastern Orthodox, to go Orthodox. Candles and incense. And guess what? I will visit my kids in the incense part of heaven if that's where they end up. It's not for me. I don't even want to tuck in my, my shirt in church. My wife tells me I'm four months pregnant. I don't want to tuck this in. Ladies and gents, if my kids are in heaven, I don't care what part of heaven they're in. Are you with me? Man, we just loosen up and let them ask some questions and let them talk. Here's the good news. It is no harder to raise a godly child today than it was 40 years ago. I taught this at my church and this woman came up and said, I was freaking out. I got these teenagers. I was freaking out. I'm still freaking out a little bit after listening to you, but I'm freaking out a lot less. No perfect families. We don't have to be perfect families. God's grace is really what we need to show off. Is it not? Because that's the only thing that keeps us together. Let's pray. Our father who art in heaven, we honor your name because you alone are worthy of our crowns. We're glad for our families. They're wonderful. Um, and on some days, they're just maddening. And on some days, we're the problem. And we thank you for the grace that saves us and then begins to flush out the junk. And in our families, begins to turn us into the people that you will continue working on until we are all made perfect and we all celebrate you in uh, heaven around your throne. We thank you that there's good news. We thank you that <clears throat> there's so much we can learn through sociology and statistics that make us go, oh, chill out. But we thank you most that you are um, the God of our families in the midst of it all, imperfect or not. Thank you for love. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, uh, would you give Hayden a, a round of applause? Thanks for being here. Uh, on your way out here in just a moment, Hayden's going to be out at a table uh, selling some of the books, The Generational Q and Sticking Points. And so I would uh, welcome you to go and uh, say hello to him. Thank you for him for being here and actually uh, purchase one of his books. You can actually get it cheaper than what you can on Amazon, even if you have Prime. Okay? So feel free to stop by and say hello to them. I want to invite you back next week uh, as we continue this perfect series. We're going to have uh, Barrett McRae here from Wheaton College to talk about no more perfect marriages. And so you're not going to want to miss that. So let me pray for you, and then we'll be dismissed. God, thank you so much for this day. And God, as your people, as your church uh, leaves the building, I pray that you would go with us and that, God, that we would realize that we don't have to be perfect. Uh, God, that, uh, as Hayden said, that our imperfect, broken relationships are part of who we are and our broken families are part of that and in our brokenness that that your word says that um, you your grace is sufficient for us and your power is made perfect in our weakness and so we're grateful for that and we ask that you would go with us now in Jesus name we pray amen thanks have a great week we'll see you back next week